One of the joys of our church is uh, that we have three congregations, one of which is uh, Nepalese. And we had a number of electives at our church camp. Yesterday, one of the electives was learning how to cook Nepalese food, which we all appreciated because they cooked dinner for us. Uh, as you're arriving, just a couple of contexts to know about our uh, message this morning. One is we as a church over the last three and a half years have been tracking through the book of Matthew and we're on track to finish it this year. So we're up to Matthew chapter 20. We've taken a few different paths through it. Another, another context is this weekend we've been looking specifically at John 17 and the question of what the north star should be for the church. A north star in management or leadership thinking is a point of orientation we find it hard to relate to uh, because we don't live in the northern hemisphere but apparently in the northern hemisphere the north star doesn't move. It is always pointing north. Our southern cross moves around and you need to do a bit of triangulation to work out where south is but the north star doesn't move. It is an external point of reference. And it's really important to have an external point of reference, to know where you're going. If you don't have an external point of reference, then you will do one of two things. You will either just be led by whatever feels good and go to wherever your feelings tell you to go, which is not generally uh, a, a great navigation tool. Your internal point of reference isn't necessarily a great navigation tool, or else you get stuck where you are and be determined by your past rather than your future. So it's really important to have an external point of reference. What we were saying yesterday, and for those who are just joining us online and part of our church family or fellowship, uh, you'll find the teaching from, la from yesterday. Think, yeah, thanks, Dan. That'd be awful. I can't do it one-handed. Um, uh, on the Facebook group, so you can go back and check that out. What we were saying yesterday, though, is uh, I, I want to suggest that the church has had the wrong North Star for at least the last hundred years or so. I want to suggest that we've had the wrong mission and the wrong gospel. And so what we want to look at is... Okay, if, 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 if that's true, we want to come back and work out how that works. But what should our North Star be? And what we're suggesting is a safe place to go would be to go to the one bit in the Bible we know is written for us. Because Jesus actually mentions us by name. In John 17, he says, I pray for those who will believe in us through their message. That's us. And what does he pray? I pray they might be one Father, as you and I are one. And we talked about the remarkable nature of what that would actually mean, because he's talking about the, the life of the Trinity. And we talked yesterday about how often we have a watered-down understanding of what the Trinity is, like some three old men in the sky, you know, having boring conversations. That is not the life of the Trinity. But then he, he does say something else. I pray they might be one, just as you are in me and I am in you, 
may they also be in us. See, what he knows is, and this is what you want to before I trip over there, uh, uh, what he knows is what we need to know, is you don't have it within you to be one with other people who cause you pain. Because we all know in a fallen world, relationships are challenging. Relationships are difficult. We, we were, as human beings, we're stuck in this bind because we are wired to need relationships. But we also, if we're to be honest, the, the, the greatest sources of our pain are our relationships. And so Jesus didn't say, I pray they might be one as you and I are one so that they would work hard to do that. No, he says, I pray they might be in us. I want to talk about what that means and what it doesn't mean. But I, as we, again, just let's want to name our context now. In our nation, we're heading for another point of conflict. Another, I love that we're in a country where we make big decisions together, but I hate that as we make big decisions, we tend to polarise and see the, the, other, the other side as the enemy. And we tend to dehumanise people who don't think like us. And that's becoming increasingly problematic. And one of the things I, I, I find most challenging as a Christian pastor is that often Christians are the worst. And I want to show you this morning that I think we've trained them to be the worst because we've had the wrong gospel and the wrong mission. We want to say, what would happen if we took this seriously? What, before we get to that, what would it mean to be in Jesus enough to love people that cause you pain? Because this is not an abstract question, it's a pointy end question, I actually want to turn to someone who's lived at the pointy end of this, who's not talking out of abstraction. His name's Alex. Uh, Alex is a Palestinian Christian. Many Christians believe what's happening in the Middle East is a, a war between Muslims and Jewish people. But what they fail to understand on both sides of that battle are followers of Jesus, trying to work out what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus in that context. And it's important for us to understand that it's complicated. Alex says, they've got a word, an Arabic word, that means catastrophe. To commemorate the day in 1948 where the, his friends and family and 800,000 of his people were made refugees. That same day is celebrated by Jewish people as Independence Day. You would agree that's two fairly polar opposite approaches and, and views of the world. 
So when Alex talks about what does it mean to love people who are different to you, I think, I think we should listen to what he's got to say. He's not talking out of some theoretical, theological perspective. And what he says is we discovered that the secret to fellowship is to focus on Jesus as our main common denominator because if we focus on Jesus, we can continue to have fellowship. If we focus on theology and politics, then it's very hard for us to keep in harmony in the body of Christ. What Alex is saying is what Jesus prayed for us. I pray they might be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so the world may believe. Jesus' heart and very clear intention was Christians were going to have relationships that were weird where people looked at them and said, how can you possibly love those people? How can you possibly spend time with those people who are on opposite sides to you? Alex says, by saying this, I'm not recommending that we compromise what we believe in or they compromise what they believe. However, we look at each other face to face and I say, I don't agree with you, but I still love you in the love of Christ. I still love you even though I don't agree with you. I don't think in Australia we've been shaped to be able to be strong enough to do that. Particularly in Christian culture, we tend to, when we find a, a point of disagreement, we, go, we tend to go and find people who we agree with and hang out with people we agree with. He says, and this is his personal experience, he says, you believe that the military victories for Israel in 1948 and 1967 are miracles of God on your behalf. You believe that God engineered all of that on behalf of Israel. We don't believe that. We believe these are genocides where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians were killed and became refugees. We don't look at these as you look at them. However, we can disagree and continue to have fellowship. Don't demand from us to take your perspective and we don't demand from you to take our perspective. Perspective. Alex is naming what it means to be the kind of church that Jesus is praying for. To love Jesus enough that you see other people through Jesus. Part of the challenge, though, is I, I think we've, we've kind of watered down the gospel. Jesus was 
very clear. He says, a, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Jesus' strategy for the Christian church to change the world was that we would be a place that lived his love. That didn't just talk about it, that didn't just argue about it, but loved people who are hard to love to the point where the world would look and go, there is something about that that's remarkable that I cannot explain any other way than the fact that Jesus, the person they're talking about, must be real. That was Jesus' strategy. I was talking yesterday about a, a man who I believe, uh, and who uh, I, I mentioned, Michael Frost, the Baptist missiology said, missiologist said, uh, had a profound impact. Michael Frost's words were, uh, this man had a greater impact on the church in the Western world through the 20th century than any other person, but no one here has heard his name. His name is Donald McGavran. And he founded what was church growth thinking. And I, my belief is we established church growth as a North Star, that the purpose of the church was to grow the church, which was very clearly said by him. And in fact, he named the mission of the church as this. He says, it's an enterprise devoted to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and to persuading men and women to become his disciples and responsible members of his church. So, for McGavran, the central task of the Christian church was to persuade people. It was to argue and present a set of beliefs that would, we could get other people to believe. That way of thinking shaped the Christian church. As I mentioned yesterday, you may not have heard of McGavran, but you've certainly heard of the people who were influenced by him. That way of thinking shaped the Christian church and we worked out we need to find ways to package the gospel, to make it easily transmittable so we could persuade people. And so a man by the name of Bill Bright, uh, who founded Campus Crusade for Christ, took four beautiful truths from the Bible and call them the four spiritual laws. Billy Graham took those same truths and packaged them as the, I think, the steps to peace with God, with a slightly different uh, wording. Bill Bright's uh, four spiritual laws were these. First, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. Secondly, we are sinful and separated from God. Therefore, we cannot know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Third, Jesus is Christ's only provision for our sin. Through him alone, we can know God personally and experience God's love and plan. 
And fourth, we must individually receive Christ as Saviour and Lord. Then we can know and experience God's love and plan for our lives. Who is the focus? As you hear that, who is the focus of the four spiritual laws? Yeah, we are. We realised early on that one of the best ways to market the church was to tap into people's self-interest. And we worked out if we could show them that this is about them, then we, we could do a, a, not a bad job of selling the gospel. Now, nothing in what those four spiritual laws say is wrong. They are precious biblical truths. They're just not the gospel. But throughout the last hundred years or so, those concepts we have come to believe are the gospel. So much so that people would say, unless you name those four ideas, you are not preaching the gospel. And so they were the things we needed to persuade people of. So the mission of the church, according to Donald McGavran, was that we had to persuade people to become followers of Jesus. And then the gospel were these four ideas. If you've got your Bibles, pull out your Bibles and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of the things you'll notice in the New Testament as you look for the times where the, the New Testament church is sharing the gospel, they never use the four spiritual laws. It's not there. But here we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the earliest part of the New Testament. Many people think the Gospels are the earliest part because they come first. But the, this is, according to most historians, you can date this little passage, the little bit of 1 Corinthians, to within one or two years of Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, and you can look up the historical background for that but this is uh, and, and that's largely because Paul is saying what was passed on to me I'm now passing on to you so let's say if if B Bill Bright's gospel were these four spiritual laws let's look at what Paul's gospel is verse one now brothers and sisters I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold fir firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as first, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas or Peter and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. And that bit where it says he appeared to all the brothers and sisters, he's kind of saying, yeah, go and talk to them, you know. And that's where they date this to within a couple of years of Jesus' death and resurrection. What do you notice about the difference between what Paul calls the gospel and what Bill Bright calls the gospel? Do you notice any differences? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's by this gospel. And what is the gospel we're saved by? It, it's, it's actually what Paul is doing is just recounting historical facts. Do you know, one of the dangers in uh, the way we've assumed the gospel is a set of ideas is it misses what the gospel actually is. It is... The word gospel means good news, not good ideas. One of the challenges for us is we don't have a simple way of loving people who think differently to us. We think being one means being the same, but it doesn't. The Christian church has never been the same. It's what the Apostle Paul's getting at. He says, you are one body, many parts. And... Some people are so different to you that it's really, really hard to love them. And all that we know about trauma and increasingly learning about trauma shows us that some, sometimes people aren't even able to choose their responses. They've been so shaped for, by difficult circumstances that they react and respond without being able to make volitional choices and I really encourage you to do a bit of reading on trauma as we we're discovering more and more about what it means so what it means is in a in a community of broken people we are going to hurt each other we are sometimes it'll be through simple misunderstanding sometimes it'll be through overreaction Sometimes it'll be just because someone's being an idiot. But Jesus invites us to love each other and not just the people you agree with. I, there's a South African man by the name of David Bosch. He did a survey of Christian mission over the last 2,000 years. It's kind of the definitive book on Christian mission. It's called Transforming Mission. It's the one that all the missiologists refer to. And at the end of his book, he gets to a point where he says, this is what I, I think mission is. So I'll pull it up here. I can almost do it from memory, but I don't want to trust myself to do that. Yeah, here we go. Mission. So this is his definition of mission, which I think is much more helpful than Donald McGavran's definition of mission. Mission, listen to this, is the good news, not the good ideas, the good news of God's love incarnated, made flesh, made real, in the witness of a community, not a person, in the witness of a community for the sake 
of the world. Let's say that again. Mission is the good news of God's love incarnated in the witness of a community for the sake of the world. When Jesus said, may they also be in us so the world might know. Many Bible commentators believe he's referring them back a couple of chapters to John chapter 15 where he says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The gospel isn't just a plan to get to heaven when you die. The gospel is invitation to life now with Jesus, in and through Jesus, and because of Jesus, we get to love each other. Even the difficult people. I think we've been so profoundly shaped by our culture. I was talking with my mate Mark about this yesterday. I, I don't know if we... I don't know if we know how to do this. I, I, I don't see lots of examples. Our culture says the most important person in the world is you. And you just got to be true to your internal North Star. Our culture says you have no external North Star. For a Christian... Jesus is our North Star. And he doesn't go up and down with your feeling world. He calls you to love because he loves you. On this camp, we've been beginning to wrestle with what would it look like if we were to take this seriously? What would a, what would a church, what would churches look like who, for whom... Jesus was so much a part of their life that they saw other people through him and were able to love them even when it's not simple. What would it be if people loved Jesus enough so that even in the midst of all the pain and complexity and damage we've experienced in our lives, and all the scars and the brokenness. We could hear his words, it is finished. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. And because we know we're loved by him, we love our brothers and sisters. This is the remarkable task we're called to. To know we are loved 
and to live as a community of love. We know that it's not simple. I, I love, as we've said, for us as a church, there's a particular, we've, God's given us a laboratory. The Nepalese congregation have to learn to love Australians and that's very hard to do. Uh, and the Australians have to learn to love Nepalese, which is much easier. But they're two very different cultures. And they're forcing us to face our differences, but to strive to be one. But I, I'm hoping this is just the start. Because there's many more people that need to know Jesus' love than just Nepalese and Aussies. But for all of us, I think we're going to have to face the stuff that means we try and keep ourselves as safe and distant from any potential pain as possible. Because there is no way to love people without being vulnerable. There's no safe way to love people. Loving people means taking up your cross and being willing to absorb some of the pain that comes from relationships. And it's only possible if you know you're loved. And you'll only know you're loved if you can look into the eyes of Jesus and see the smile on his face and know deeply that he loves you. I'm just going to pray and then a band's going to come up and lead us in a song. Jesus, help. You know only too well how for most of us, most of the time, it's much easier to look for ways to protect ourselves and keep people we disagree with at a distance than to open ourselves and work out what it means to love awkward people. It does seem, though, that David Bosch had it right, that mission is a, the good news of your love incarnated in the witness of a community, not incarnated in the witness of a good speaker. That somehow we've got to find a way to live in community in a way that people look at it and go, I want a bit of that. Where people look at it and go, how do those people love each other? Where people look at it and go, that Jesus they believe in must be the reason. We confess we've got a long way to go still and we need your help. Help us, each one of us, have the courage to face ourselves and be open to you. Help us have the courage to be real with you. And help us, each one of us, know your love so that we can then love others. We ask this in your name. Amen.